Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM, Channel 127. Welcome to Progress After Dark. Good evening to everybody out there on the West Coast, driving home in your vehicles. Hello to everybody else in the Middle and the East Coast. Welcome to Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. I'm John Fugelsang. Here... In Manhattan, New York City, Thea is producing us from Brooklyn. Chris, our executive producer, is being executive in production like down in South Carolina. And for the next couple hours, we're going to be with you right here on Channel 127 at 866-997-4748. We would love to hear from you. Let's talk about the Colorado River. Now, you might think you don't know the Colorado River at all, but if you've ever admired the Grand Canyon, you have admired the Colorado River's work. It connects Wyoming to Mexico, and about 40 million humans rely on its water. And the Colorado River has, of course, been facing a mega drought, an historic drought due to climate change. Reservoirs are at record lows, and about 30 indigenous tribes live from this river, many of whom don't have the benefits of running water in their homes. These same tribes have virtually no say in how the river's water is shared or cared for. Now, Michael Sackis is an NPR climate reporter in Colorado who hosts the excellent podcast Parched, all about what is happening to the Colorado and how it's going to affect the people who live there and the rest of us in the long term. It's a great pleasure to welcome the host of Parched, Michael Sackis. Welcome. Yeah, so nice to meet you, John. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's uh, great to talk about this issue. I'm really uh, honored you would, and I'm really, really dazzled by the depth of your reporting on this. I, I think it's really, really heroic. Um, for those who don't know, what are we looking at here? What does the parched in your podcast refer to? How how bad is it? And And could you describe for our listeners how important this river is for fresh drinking water and for society as a whole? Yeah. The name Parched for the podcast was uh, was a process to figure out the name, but we felt like it, it fit perfectly for the situation that we're in right now because Parched refers to the land itself, right? We're experiencing climate change in the Colorado River Basin, and the river, like you said, stretches from Wyoming to northern Mexico. So we're talking about 40 million people that rely on this river, you know, close to 5 million acres of farmland. And the land itself is changing. The river's flows have dramatically dropped with climate change. And then on top of that, there's the element of human thirst, right? This this need to, to be able to meet these needs across this very large river basin. The Colorado mm-hmm. River really is the lifeblood of, of how we live in the Southwest. Now, what would be, just hypothetically, the long-term impact of the region and the entire country if this river were to somehow dry up? What would the right. worst case scenario look like? Yes, worst case scenario. Um, I think that that's exactly what water managers, people who use this river are trying to avoid right now because we, we're kind of reaching that point. So we've got Lake Mead 
and Lake Powell, which are the country's largest reservoirs, and they're filled right. with Colorado River water. And they have hit record lows, sitting near those record lows right now. And if those reservoirs continue to dry up, we are challenging infrastructure on how we actually continue to deliver this water to all of these people, to these farmlands. And so the states right now, including the 30 tribes, are having conversations about how do we make sure that we keep enough water in this system so that it keeps working, so that we can keep delivering water to Los Angeles and and Las Vegas and, and that the states upstream of those reservoirs can keep getting water to Denver and growing farmland. So, so the worst case scenario would really be Lake Powell and Lake Mead hitting what is called Deadpool, which is mm. essentially where the water gets so low that for one, we're not able to produce hydropower anymore because there's a certain amount of water that's needed to be able to go through those turbines at Glen Canyon Dam and Hoover Dam, which produces electricity for millions That's of people right. in, the, in the West. So if the water level gets so low that power production is no longer possible, there's also the challenge of actually moving that water. So that process of creating energy is the water moving from reservoir to reservoir down to downstream states. So, so if the reservoirs keep dropping, you know, uh, California and Nevada are going to struggle, possibly struggle to get water. So that's what folks are trying to avoid right now. They're, the states and the federal government are saying we are at emergency level, you know, water levels here. And we have to try to figure out how to keep enough water in the system so that we don't hit this crisis crashing point. So when you say Lake Powell and Lake Mead and hydropower, we're, we're talking about the Hoover Dam itself, right? Exactly. Yes. The Hoover Dam itself, built in the 30s, you know, this marvel of engineering and Western ambition that was the reason we were able to make the Southwest bloom, you know, because there isn't this there isn't this consistent, reliable source of water in the Southwestern states. So the largest concrete structure at the time, Hoover Dam was built so that we could store this massive pool of water, the largest reservoir in the United States, so that we can drink water in the Southwest, so that we can grow food and work at businesses and, and create business in the Southwest. And so this this huge system here, exactly, Hoover Dam and then Glen Canyon Dam, which is Lake Powell. And so those two reservoirs work together to create a, basically right. a savings account for the states. And that savings account is you know, near empty. I mean, what what is what is the percentage of the reservoir at this point? How low are they? So when they when they hit their lowest levels on record, so Lake Mead hit its lowest last summer, and then Lake Powell recently hit its lowest, and we're talking you know twenty five about twenty five percent full. Uh, those numbers change a little bit every day, and and thankfully we've got a lot of snow in the mountains right now. And so people are saying the snow that has fallen in the Rockies, which is what melts and fills this system, it's about 60 to 70% of the water comes from the Rockies, uh, that that we might be buying ourselves a little more time because of, of how great the snow has been this past season. But, you know, we're, we're hearing people all the time, you know, we're seeing huge amounts of snow. Are we gonna, are we out of the drought? Are we all okay? Right. And the answer is no. You know, one one good winter isn't going to be enough to fill these massive reservoirs that over the last 20 years have been slowly draining. And for 40 million people. I mean, I, I don't want to get to the finger pointing part of the interview just yet. But let me ask you very innocently, who decides how much water goes to which reservoir? Right. So so the history is so fascinating to me because it absolutely is playing a role in why we are here today. So. In, in our first episode of Parch, we really explore this history of, you know, and in our second episode, kind of a dual kind of how did we get here, right? Like, why are yeah. we in this situation? Mm -hmm. And essentially, hundred years because, ago, right? a right, hundred years ago, we signed this compact. The states that share Colorado River water signed a compact, the, the seven states. And essentially, they said, we're going to cut this river in half, the flows of this river in half. And the states 
upstream are going to get a certain amount and the, the states downstream are going to get a certain amount. And so the upstream states are Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and New Mexico. The states downstream are Nevada, California, and Arizona. And the tribes, the 30 indigenous tribes were not included in that conversation. They were not given an allocation of water. And so now today, we're, we're just dealing with a completely different river with climate change. And so when you have these hard and fast numbers that allow the states to say, I'm allowed to keep using this much water. You know, here's here's what this piece of paper from 100 years ago says. Right. But there's just physically not that much water anymore. And so mm. so this this system, this kind of math equation that just isn't computing anymore is the reason why less water is coming into the reservoirs than what we are taking out at this point. I really did learn a lot from your podcast, and it blows my mind that the suffering of millions depends on a compact signed between seven states 100 years ago, and the tribes were completely cut out of the entire process. I, I'm, I'm playing with mixed metaphors of carving up a river, but I mean, you're right. The, the river that that compact was designed for really no longer exists. It's a completely different river now. Right. And and. The thing is, is that when the indigenous tribes, you know, so so the states knew, right, they had this piece of paper that said, I can use this much water. So I'm going to build reservoirs and pipelines and cities because I've got this like green light to grow. Right. That's how the Southwest has just exploded with growth. But when the tribes weren't included in that allocation, they didn't have that same number. They didn't get that same economic power. They've had to, over the decades, you know, 100 years, work through court battles and settlements to to be able to, to make sure that they have their rights to this river, too. And there are some tribes that are still in that process. So, you know, there's 30 tribes, and collectively, they have about the right now to use 25% of the river. So, and that's more than Arizona. So, so while they have been pushed out of the conversation, ignored, cut out, that's changed now because they yeah. they cannot be ignored anymore. And they have this huge amount of power, especially as the river continues to shrink, their share grows. And so they are this, you know, really important player. They've been an important player from the start and they are, you know, that voice is, is starting to be heard more and more. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back. I'm curious, how does it manifest itself in the lives of the members of these tribal nations? You know, I mean, as we know, many of these folks don't have running water. It's a way of life that the average uh, Caucasian on the coast can't even imagine. Right. So 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 when the river was carved up and when the states knew how much water they could use, that allowed federal funding to be able to build Hoover Dam and the huge reservoirs and, and bring water to, you know, these cities throughout the southwest without knowing how much of the Colorado River is theirs to use. Each individual tribe has their own story. But, you know, they're, they don't have indoor. Many of these reservations were built without indoor plumbing. That has changed yeah. over time. But there is still, you know, indigenous communities are 19 times more likely to not have indoor plumbing. And so Amazing. while the states, the states got busy, you know, making sure that was 
just, you know, the general run-of-the-mill kind of lifestyle for for people outside of Indigenous communities, you know, on reservations, they've had to really work to make sure that they get that same kind of funding from the federal government. And, uh, you know, a big part of the reason why it's like that is because of this this 100-year-old compact. Wow. I mean, as a New Yorker, this is mind-boggling to me. I live on an island between two rivers. I live next to a park that has a big, famous, gigantic reservoir right smack in the middle of it. And to hear about a mega drought affecting the Colorado River Basin seems like a sci-fi film, I think, to most of the country who, who's not exposed to it. Is there a scientific consensus, Michael, on what's causing this decline in the river? The scientific consensus absolutely is that climate change is is driving this drought. Uh, there's studies that find that, you know, drought cycles are are normal and common in the Southwest. That is absolutely why this infrastructure exists, because we understand that some years we're going to have more water than others. And so right. we need these reservoirs to be able to have water in the bank during those times of drought. But right, 22, 23 years of consistent drought, the driest on record and I think the number is around 1,200 years, this air, this 20 plus year era. So that's what defines it as a mega drought because it's been, you know, we're going into decades of this. And research I've looked at has found that a drought cycle like this could could exist, but that climate change is fueling this and is probably making this, you know, 50 to 60 percent worse than it would be. Right. And so, and also. Some people say drought isn't even the right word to be using anymore. Uh, that aridification is a more accurate word because drought drought gives us a sense that things are going to go back to normal, that we're going right. to eventually see a full Lake Mead and Lake Powell. And lots of climate scientists are saying there's a very good chance that in my lifetime, in your lifetime, we will never see a full Lake Powell or Lake Mead again. And uh, so drought. You know, many say that's not even the most accurate word to use, that it's the West is drying out aridification and we are in a, just a totally different reality. And again, there's there's no real scientific debate that this is a byproduct of climate change. Right. I, I'm, I'm asking for all the politicians running for office next year who could bring this up because it, it seems rather important on many levels. Absolutely. Scientists would say that this is a climate change driven water shortage crisis, really. And that, you know, yes, that at World Economic Forums around climate change, this is used as an example of what communities across the world will and are experiencing. So how, how do humans, uh, with all their technology and wisdom, minimize the destructive impact of a mega drought or aridification? I mean, how are other states dealing with this mega drought? How, how's Mexico dealing with it? And that's that's what we are really excited about with Parched is that this is a solutions focused podcast. We of course, we dive into how we got here, you know, the the conversations that need to be had around equity and and what's led us to this moment. And then we we talk about what people are doing, how they're trying to adapt to this. And we look at, you know, desalination in, in Southern California because, you know, L.A. and Orange County, San Diego, they use Colorado River water. And so we explore desalination. We explore recycling wastewater. And, you know, this episode is right now scheduled to be our, our 10th episode. But we are we do go to Mexico and we look at how over, you know, for for millions of years when the Colorado River flowed freely from the Rockies to northern Mexico, it created millions of acres of wetlands, it, mm. which it's mind boggling to think that was there at one point, because when I visited, it's dry, dusty, you know, feels like desert land, but it was this lush ecosystem. And when we built dams and reservoirs, that water went to those and that that ecosystem was almost entirely lost. And so we, we visit a restoration site where they're trying to bring some of that back to connect people to an environment ecosystem that has been lost. Now, I know the states did attempt uh, a voluntary system to try to reduce water usage. How did that play out, Michael? The federal government did say, you know, this big announcement last year that they are going to, that they were going to step in if the states weren't able to figure out together how they were going to essentially dramatically cut how much water they're using so that to make sure that Lake Mead and Lake Powell would have enough water in it. And so the federal government stepped in and said, this needs to get done. And if the states can't figure it out, we will make these cuts for you. 
And so that's been a process. There, a deadline came and went, and the states were supposed to come up with a plan, and they did not have that plan. Mm-hmm. So the federal government, very recently though, came out with their um, environmental study. Uh, it's like a, an emergency supplemental environmental study to basically figure out how they can step in to keep enough water in these reservoirs. And so there's a uh, kind of a new process going on where the federal government has released this and they want the states to supply input. But really, it's more fire, you know, right. to, to right. get the states to act, to decide what will work best for them to make sure that this system doesn't crash. I mean, I did want to ask, like, what kind of ally has the Biden White House been throughout this, particularly uh, Secretary Holland, who who filled me with optimism? Uh, how How is that relationship going? And, and also, how did the um, the infrastructure bill uh, impact funding to fight this problem? Right. So I think it's a it's it's definitely a delicate thing. Um, you know, um, Secretary Holland is indigenous. And so the tribes have been communicating with her, sending letters and and trying to get more action from the federal government to to get that legally built structure to allow them to have legally created structure so that they can be a part of this process of deciding how do we move forward with a drier river? And right now that legal structure doesn't exist and many tribes are are asking for that. And so the, you know, the Biden administration has been setting aside millions of dollars to help with the drought in the Southwest. And we're seeing some of that money starting to play out by actually becoming a, a pool of funds to pay farmers and ranchers and other water rights holders to not use as much water, because okay. then that would mean that that water would stay in the reservoirs. And the Gila River Indian community in Arizona is a perfect example. They've recently just agreed to keep lots of water in Lake Mead for millions of dollars from the federal government. And so some people see this as a short term solution uh, because, you know, some people think, can we keep paying farmers and ranchers to, you know, some would say not farm, but it might mean it might mean keeping fields, some fields you know, empty. It might mean changing crops. It might mean trying things like drip irrigation, which we explore all of that in Parched. But yeah, so they're, you know, they definitely say that there's a a crisis here and they are trying to help the Southwest adopt through through some federal funding. Um, If you're just joining us, my guest is Michael Sekis of uh, Colorado Public Radio, host of the really excellent, if somewhat horrifying, Parched podcast. I, I have to bring up the Washington Post story which in all blaring caps more or less was stoking fear of uh, what they called a doomsday scenario for the river. Was was that hype? Was that dangerous or was that fair? And and is that the kind of all caps warning people need to hear? I absolutely think it was fair. And especially, you know, we're we are seeing some positive hydrology. We are seeing this the snow in in the Rockies, which like I said, is maybe taking the edge off a little bit. But if we have a couple of dry years in a row, I mean, we are looking at these reservoirs hitting their worst case scenario. And so I fail to come up with a a different word for it, because if no action is taken, there isn't room for no action. Significant action needs to be taken for the system to not crash. And actually, the federal government, they release forecasts, you know, to kind of try to figure out, you know, we think that Lake Powell and Lake Mead will be at this level, you know, on this date to give a sense of how water users can use their water. And so what they've what they've been doing is they've actually been saying, you know, if we have two or three years in a row that look like these dry years, which are years we have recently had, they basically are saying if we had two or three of these years in a row, the reservoirs would hit, you know, these levels that would just possibly make the system crash in its ability to deliver water. So the big question is, what's giving you hope? What is giving me hope? Well, as someone who's born and raised in Colorado, uh, you know, this has been being able to cover this topic has been fascinating, enlightening, learning from all of these people up and down the river. You know, that's the really awesome thing about parched that kind of feels like a road trip we're going to all of these different places to learn how they interact with the river and what gives me hope is that people are 
really trying to figure this out. They're full of ideas that they think, you know, if if we expanded on them or funded them or really looked into how they could be helpful, people are inspired. They want, you know, they are passionate about about their, you know, lifestyle in the Southwest, you know, love living here like I do. And they want to see this get figured out. And so that we can all continue to, you know, live here in the Southwest and, uh, you know, see water be a part of every element of, of our day-to-day life. Michael Sackis is a climate and environmental reporter for Colorado Public Radio News. She is the host of the really amazing podcast, Parched, which seems like a podcast about the Colorado River. It's actually a podcast about everything planet Earth is facing in microcosm. It's such a pleasure to have you. As a former NPR intern, I find your career very inspiring, and I want to thank you on behalf of all of humanity for being a journalistic voice making noise about this when not enough journalists are. Really a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. And we'll be right back. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. Welcome back. So as you know, the Supreme Court last Friday night halted a ban and other restrictions on the popular abortion medication Mifepristone, keeping our most popular abortion method available for now. Uh, Mike Pence, who has really tried to step up and be the Republican anti-abortion, anti-trans superstar that no one asked for, now declares he wants Mifepristone off the market. Never mind, it's been on the market for 23 years, including the four years he was vice president and never thought to mention it once. But this just shows how the dismantling of Roe has gone much further, and it's emboldened the right-wing conservative movement into God knows what next. Marriage equality, LGBTQ rights, trans bills, etc. I am very happy to have two of the smartest journalists in the game to make sense of this. Jessica Mason-Piclo, you know from this show. She is senior VP and executive editor for Rewire News Group. She's the co-host of uh, the terrific podcast Boom Lawyered. She's known in some quarters as Hegemami. Rewire News Group, in case you don't recall, is a 501c3 nonprofit media org and the only national publication exclusively devoted to reporting on reproductive and sexual health, rights, and justice. We're also happy to be joined by Garnet Henderson, who is RNG's senior multi-platform reporter right out of Brooklyn. Great to see you. Thanks for having us. Thanks Thank for having both us. both for being here. So, yeah, um, where do we begin? We were waiting to see what would happen on Friday, how late in the day the announcement would come, <laughs> how much John Roberts cared about his enduring popularity. Uh, it, it seems like in the absence of Roe, uh, all bets are off. It was not Donald Trump's real truth goal to send it back to the states it just mm-hmm. means everyone go for whatever you can go for and and next i guess um is uh, jessica the fifth circuit 
Yeah. So um, what a ride it's been, huh? Right. We're not even a year out of uh, from the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe versus Wade formally. Um, and already the Supreme Court took a nibble yeah. um, on abortion rights and um, probably would have taken a bigger bite. But for some of the corruption swirling around the court right now, I do think that one of the you know reasons that we saw the outcome that we did is that it tamps down some <laughs> of the uh, concerns. I mean, look, imagine it, it, it didn't tamp down the corrupt one we're talking about. No, 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 no. But can you imagine had the had the Supreme Court on Friday allowed Judge Kaczmarek's order, which, you know, purports to try and pull a drug off the market? It's lawless. He doesn't have that that power. But can you imagine had the court gone along with that? I mean, we would see court reform and expansion at the center of yeah. the Democratic mm-hmm. platform. Coming Honestly, in- I, we, we, John Roberts vanity is protecting us in so many ways. Oh, Think terribly depressing his, statement. His, John Roberts is so fixated. He's just like the rest of them. He's all about himself, yeah. but he's so fixated on his place in the history books as being this fair and impartial actor, despite his entire legislative history. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's what has stayed him from going much, much further. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't disagree with that as well. And I think that explains some of the tone of the dissent that we saw from Justice Alito in the decision um, to allow or to uh, continue to stay on Judge Kaczmarek's rule. But yeah, your earlier question is, um, so now this case goes back to the Fifth Circuit. And so, you know, uh, for the listeners who may be not following um, along very closely, we haven't even had a discussion on the meat and potatoes, on the merits of this case at all. All Mm -hmm. of this is preliminary, Um, just, you know, some initial kind of procedural questions and uh, in the middle of May, the 17th, I believe, the Fifth Circuit is going to hear oral arguments on this case um, and is likely to do something very wacky. I guess that's my like big legal <laughs> prediction right there. Okay, I, I I respect the legal jargon, um, but <laughs> like when I think wacky to me, when 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 you've got a guy who's an anti-abortion rights activist, who the former reality show host of Celebrity Apprentice, who's becomes president despite the majority of Americans voting against him, decides to make said anti-abortion rights activist clown a judge Mm -hmm. and said clown is then picked by a judge shopping organization going all through Mm -hmm. Texas till they settle on Amarillo to find one batshit enough to do this (laughs) to overthrow a drug that is safer than Viagra and substantially safer than childbirth. Yeah, I think we've crossed the wacky line, haven't we? I mean, like, I, I don't really understand why there's not a universal revulsion by this. Are you ever surprised? Uh, I mean, <laughs> even amongst conservatives, I guess I'm not surprised just because there is so much stigma around abortion. It's something that most people prefer not to talk about until they or somebody they love needs one. And I really think that this has allowed so much of what you just said to play out in silence. Right. And a lot of people are only just now catching up to yeah. what an absolute crisis this is and just the true levels of absurdity that we have reached because not only was Matt Kaczmarek put in exactly that spot for this reason right so that all the most wackadoo cases would go straight to him they then go straight to the also very wackadoo fifth circuit court of appeals and then now the supreme court which is prepared to probably uphold almost anything that Mm -hmm. the fifth circuit does which is terrifying have people made too much of clarence thomas's boast after the gutting of Roe v. Wade, that next they were going to go after contraception and marriage equality. I mean, it 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 really seems like yeah, they've got the door open a crack, and these guys are not known for their restraint. Oh, absolutely, especially because both Matt Kazmarek, um, the Texas judge, and the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, in their opinions in this Mifa Pristone case, have cited the Comstock Act, yeah. which is a zombie law from 1873. Uh, the Grant administration, oh. folks. Yes. Who knew the Grant administration was still relevant? I was saving the Comstock Act for later <laughs> in the sorry. interview, but let's 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 go to it right now because yeah, you're, look, people are going to start hearing it. These, yeah. Yes. We none of us could pronounce Mifepristone six months ago. Let's learn the Comstock <laughs> Act, people. Um, it's it's 150 years old, and they they somehow believe that this is the key uh, to have a national full abortion ban as long as we ignore all existing precedent. Right. That's I think how it works. 
I mean, you know, up is down with the conservative legal movement. Um, and so, yeah, the Comstock Act is, uh, and I love talking about this with, with Garnet, it originated as, you know, an anti-obscenity law um, and was designed to block anything obscene going through the mail, right? Typically porn, mm-hmm. right? Erotica yeah. porn um, was what it was considered. But it also had specific indications for contraception and, and abortion. Um, and, you know... Everybody ignored it. They just didn't get around to repealing it. And now in a post-ops world, conservatives um, in some legal pleadings have called it the supreme federal criminal statute of the land. <laughs> like that's, that's Jonathan Mitchell. Um, uh, supreme. You know, uh, and it is it's just wild to think that a Victorian era law designed around purity politics yes. is now weaponized for coming after abortion immediately, but also contraception. Yeah. I mean, also, if you want to talk about wacky, Anthony Comstock was an epic narc Mm -hmm. who made a name for himself in New York, turning brothels into the cops and then wrote this law and then got himself made a male cop so that he could personally enforce it. And somehow that law has never been taken off the books. It sounds like a MAGA fantasy, to tell you the truth. Exactly. You know, I I mean, obviously, the group that's pushing this is the Alliance Defending Freedom. Mm. Uh And they are not going to slow down. And it just sort of seems like the Republican Party has been using criminalizing abortion rights for, uh, I wouldn't say 50 years, I'd say 40 years to win elections mm-hmm. and get drive bro to turn out. Mm-hmm. Um, they really don't seem to realize what this has done with the opposition. It's almost like they're, they're not just writing off young people and women. It seems like they're really actively encouraging young people and women to vote with another party. I don't know understand after Kansas, after the midterms, and after the Wisconsin Supreme Court, yep. how they can still, this dog can still chase this truck so hard. Mm-hmm. I... They're punch drunk and yeah. power happy. I mean, yeah. like, I, that's really the only explanation because they're not doing anything that a rational human being would see in the best interest of the longevity of their party. But they can get away with it if they believe that they don't have to answer to the people. Right. That's I mean, right. we come back to the idea that it's always fraud if a Democrat wins an election, mm-hmm. for example. Um, and we've seen <laughs> that in the Wisconsin State Supreme Court uh, results already. There is mm-hmm. already conversation before the votes were even finished counting about impeaching Judge Janet. I'm not going to try to say her last name, even yeah. though I lived in. in Protosawis. Protosawis. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you. Good. <laughs> Fugel sang. I kind of have to know. Oh, yeah. fair, yeah. fair. But, you know. Meanwhile, you know, Justice uh, Thomas is out there like palling about with Harlan Crow and like mm-hmm. having his mom's place paid for. And whoops, we don't need to disclose that. And, you know, so the the corruption for conservatives always cuts one way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I believe personally that the reason that they're behaving the way that they do, particularly with younger voters, is because they just don't think they're going to need them Correct. because they mm-hmm. don't think that the elections are going to matter to the degree that they do. Let's not forget yep. voter ID laws are designed to disenfranchise young people as much as they're disenfranchising low-income people. Oh, yes. And we have so many states. Kansas is a great example. Voters there have said clearly they want abortion to be legal. And that is the case in every single state in the U.S., by the way, Mm -hmm. that a majority of people support access to legal abortion. But those states, many of them are so gerrymandered that voters really have no hope of even electing representatives who are going to make that their reality. That's right. Yeah. And conservatives are also already going on the offensive in those states that are trying to, like in Ohio, for example, where advocates are trying to get a ballot initiative mm-hmm. put on conservatives like, no, we're going to change the threshold so that if it deals with abortion, that ballot initiative has to be treated differently. Yeah. And yes. that's the same in other places as well. Why are they doing that? Because they know that people come out to vote on this issue and not in the way that serves their interests. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And they're also doing it because they pretend the Bible's against abortion. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what half my stand-up act is about. <laughs> but again, it's like uh, by by. I, I wish the Democrats would go after them, not just with the law, but actually with the scriptures they pretend to follow. Because mm. Judaism, not exactly the Bible, not exactly good. They're yeah. legal and free in Israel, folks. Mm-hmm. But it, it's all about the disinformation. Mm-hmm. And and Garnet, that's where I want to talk to you about some of your excellent <laughs> new pieces for Rewire News Group. Because honestly, I, of course, we know. 
that the internet is a festering hive of misinformation, disinformation, double talk and jive, rank fuckery, and basic lies. Um, <laughs> but you have a new piece called uh, Social Media Wellness Influencers Pedal Lies About Birth Control. I, I have to say, maybe I've been paying too much attention to the liars on Twitter and not enough on Reddit, <laughs> but it is really remarkable to see how, um, I mean, you call them myths that they're spreading about how hormonal contraception destroys the body's natural hormone production or or uh, birth control is a carcinogen. This isn't just random clowns who don't know science making TikTok videos, right? It's it's a well-funded, organized system of disinformation. Absolutely. I mean, what's fascinating to see is that there are a lot of influencers who are Christian conservatives and are very upfront about that. And they're posting videos on TikTok and Instagram about how birth control is bad and dangerous. And not just that, but they're tying fertility to womanhood in a really essential way. Right. So it's like you are not a woman. So so we're also getting it's both sexist and transphobic. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to keep an eye on that. Remembering. Yes. Um, But then what you see is wellness influencers who have no overt ties to Christian conservative organizations who are Mm -hmm. parroting those same talking points. And I think that is an excellent example, actually, of how disinformation, intentional false information easily becomes misinformation that then people are spreading, not knowing that they're spreading information that is incorrect, thinking that they're helping people. Right. And it's it's very appealing. Right. It comes in that same format that you see on TikTok and Instagram. It's a short, easily shareable video. Usually there's a very attractive young Mm -hmm. woman in the video telling you, if you do this, you can be like me. Um, And you can just see how easy it is for people to get swept up in that. And then just to piggyback on what Garnet said, we see that become policy because in Judge Kaczmarek's order in the Mifepristone case, he doesn't describe pregnancy as a dangerous condition, medical condition that abortion is um, sometimes used as a therapeutic remedy for. He describes it as a natural condition mm-hmm. that most women will experience at some point in their lifetimes. And it, all, it is your function. I, I mean, yes. yes right. Let's, let's and be clear all about how the world works. Ladies. <laughs> All of those all of those signals are intentional, right? The use of gendered language, the the description of pregnancy as a natural condition that doesn't end with conversations around abortion. Then if pregnancy is a natural condition that most women experience more often than not in their lifetimes, then we're having a conversation like the Jamoke out of Utah, who is like, I don't know, do caregivers really need to work? This might be bad for the, co- <laughs> for the company. You know, it oh, it really it really does sort of, you know, overtake and, and you know, become um, malignant in other spaces as well. I mean, here's here's why it's so scary. You know, it, we were talking with a guest a few weeks ago about the flat earth movement oh, and how it still mm. exists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the there reason... are a couple of those in Colorado, a couple of flat earthers in Boulder, Colorado, where I'm at. And <laughs> <Yeah>. it's wild. <laughs> and, and the reason why it's it still exists is because it is a great pool for finding candidates for whatever your right wing causes. Mm-hmm. They have found that anyone who's willing to go to an event or join a chat room about how the earth possibly could be flat turns out they're plenty gullible and they may have grievances against a world that doesn't understand them so right wing far right you know white supremacist orgs they go to this and a lot of it is the wolf in sheep's clothing aspect of it so uh, let me quote your piece garnet uh you write you might not follow any christian or cute zervative influencers (laughs) but If you've dipped into the digital world of wellness, looking at you, all my Southern California friends, you may have seen some content remarkably similar to theirs. Aside from the occasional giveaways, like the false claim that birth control is an abortive fashion, if you were to watch a series of natural birth control videos, that's a hashtag, without looking at the creator's profile, you might find it difficult to guess whose page would describe them as follower of Christ versus a holistic hormone coach. The content is nearly identical. This got me thinking about pregnancy crisis centers Mm -hmm. the language draws in people for something they don't want absolutely i mean talking about mis and disinformation crisis pregnancy centers have been on the forefront of that for decades now and they're actually exporting that overseas Mm -hmm. so that used to be a very american phenomenon and now a lot of the same organizations that run crisis pregnancy centers here are opening them up in other countries generally where access to abortion is better because it's a great way to chip away at people's access to abortion if you make them think that abortion is illegal, which is what crisis pregnancy centers often tell people, 
Or, I mean, crisis pregnancy centers often make people watch just these terrifying, gruesome videos that make abortion seem really scary and dangerous. And then they also delay people even in states where abortion is legal so that sometimes they can't get abortions or they have to travel far from home in order to get one because they've actually been misled and delayed by a crisis pregnancy center. And so I absolutely think that that is the blueprint for how a lot of conservative organizations are approaching abortion, Mm -hmm. birth control, uh, gender affirming care, any number of things in this moment. It's I mean, really but this insane. is like by going through wellness, it's like, hey, come for goop and stay for the coat hangers, right? I mean, like <laughs> they're really targeting an audience in a very deceptive way. I guess kudos, guys, well, well played. But it's the kind of lies that they're spreading. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to think anyone who's going to click on a wellness site might be a it implies secondary education. It implies critical reasoning skills a little bit. But what kind of disinformation will we find when we click on one of these sites? If we're looking for, you know, healthy information about birth control. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, like, is it true that they're actually saying that birth control changes who you're attracted to? They are. That's a very popular claim. It featured very prominently in Ricky Lake's documentary, The Business of Birth Control, as well. And there were several studies that came to that conclusion. But the thing is, they used really small sample sizes. And what they did is they were asking women to rate how attractive they found their husbands' faces. So they recruited women who were taking birth control when they met their husbands and then went off birth control at some point during the marriage. But Here's the thing. I can think of a lot of other reasons why a woman might come to find her husband's face less attractive over the course of a marriage. Yeah, yeah, maybe a couple of decades in, he's not quite as attractive. A couple decades. And also, why do married people stop using birth control? Usually it's because they're having kids. Um, Mm -hmm. So that could also be a reason why. So there are bigger, better designed studies that found that that there's no there's no. So because of a random sampling of a a small test pool that some women found their husbands less attractive after a few decades of living together and (laughs) raising kids, the. These websites are saying by the thousand that birth control will change the kind of person you're attracted to, which gets some gay panic in there, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. And and also all this. They make it sound really. There's a lot of pseudoscience. Yeah. Here. They make it sound super scientific. You can find all these videos with all this stuff about pheromones and this and that and this in-depth explanation why am i so sure why? why am i so sure there's videos of people wearing lab coats like who aren't actual doctors? It just seems like. It's all cosplay, but for a sinister end. Absolutely. It's either a lab coat serious, I'm a researcher, or it's look at me how skinny I am in my mm-hmm. <laughs> my cute athleisure clothes. Don't you want to look like me? Yeah. And so cynical because not only are they pumping out all of this dis and misinformation, then, you know, they're doing things like messing with the al- with the search algorithm so that if you are trying to just Google in, yep. you know, uh, pregnancy centers near me or where can I get an abortion or baby basic questions they've geocached so that their their searches their places go to the top and google has tried to address this a little bit but you know it's it's wild we're gonna take a very quick break we'll be right back this is progress this episode is brought to you by philo do you love tv do you love saving money then philo is your solution Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome back. 
You know, it's also interesting to me that they're exploiting uh, another area the left traditionally dwelt in, besides wellness, which is distrusting big pharma. You uh-huh. know, not not the science, of course. The, yeah. the left has always been: we respect the science, we distrust the people making money off of someone else's disease. Yeah. We saw them do this for COVID denialism to spread distrust about a vaccine, mm-hmm. and now these content creators are presenting hormonal contraception as a pharmaceutical industry conspiracy motivated by profit. That's evil because lots of us. <laughs> take on big pharma for the obvious reasons of Mm -hmm. corruption and and greed, they're actually taking advantage of that healthy distrust to spread distrust about science itself. Oh, yeah. We actually would have better, more and better birth control options if big pharma thought they could make money off of it, because uh, the government spends by far the most money out of anyone on contraceptive research and development. Why do you think that is? It's because our system relies on a pharmaceutical company to take any new drug over the finish line, basically. Mm -hmm. COVID vaccines are a great example of that, right? Pfizer and Moderna brought those to market, but the whole mRNA technology all comes from U.S. government research. Mm. So it's the same in most areas of drug development. But when it comes to contraceptives, there are lots of things in the pipeline that keep not getting taken through those final steps. And it's because pharmaceutical companies don't think there's money to be made there because most forms of birth control are really cheap. They're not making a lot of money off of, for example, birth control pills and Mm -hmm. IUDs. If they were, we would actually have better options because they'd be investing more in trying to develop new and better options. That's why the male birth control pill has to happen. I mean, like that would just be a win for everybody. You'd have the abortion rate go down. Tons of vain men would pop them in public to show off. And (laughs) the pharmaceutical companies could make a killing. And there are one or two male birth control options that are finally getting close, but it has taken a really long time. And there's been a lot of joking, fair jokes, I think, about (laughs) men not being able to handle the side effects and dropping out of trials. And that (laughs) is true. But but the main reason is actually that pharmaceutical companies have not been willing to invest in that for the longest time. So you have another great piece on Rewire News, uh, Garnet. Meet the group fighting abortion misinformation one Reddit post at a time. Uh, tell us a bit about who is pushing back since mainstream media and government doesn't really have the time, apparently, to do this. I mean, there's no one fighting against the misinformation for the rest of us. Absolutely. So uh, that piece, I profiled a volunteer group. They're called ORS, the Online Abortion Resource Squad. And what they do is make sure that every post in the abortion subreddit has an accurate, compassionate answer. So people come into that subreddit asking questions, asking for help. Sometimes people also come to just share their personal stories of having an abortion. And a lot of people in that forum are giving each other really wonderful emotional support, as well as the volunteers who are giving them really important practical and logistical support. Because of all the misinformation out there about abortion, they told me that a lot of times people come, for example, like a teenager in California who thinks that they can't get an abortion in California because they've heard so much news about abortion being illegal, right? When that's the story everywhere, that's what people think is that abortion is illegal everywhere. So sometimes what they're telling people is actually like, you're fine, you can get an abortion and you don't even need your parents' permission. And then for people who live in states where abortion is banned, they're connecting them to abortion funds and practical support networks, whatever they need to either get abortion pills or get out of the state. So it's a huge job they're doing. How are these supportive, compassionate, kind online communities not besieged by right wing trolls? I mean, is the content moderation just nonstop? Yes. So these ORS volunteers are doing it's a Herculean task because they are not only responding to posts in there, they're making sure that any misinformation gets removed. And they told me that they're really concerned about a lot of other subreddits because they have control over theirs, right? They're the moderation team. But they said there are a lot of other subreddits where people are discussing abortion and the misinformation is just running wild. This is a good point uh, to point out that uh, not only is abortion not forbidden by the Bible, birth control is not banned by the Bible. And um, (laughs) calling people baby killer is against the teachings of Jesus. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Can I bring it back to Supreme Court for our our final little beat here? Uh, Because I'll I'll tell you, Jessica, I'm so puzzled by this John Roberts thing. 
it just seems like we've reached a place where the public is beginning to wake up to the fact mm -hmm. that this body of unelecteds has zero accountability. Yeah. There's no way to fire one. There's really no way to impeach one for any kind of corruption because you'll never get two thirds in this Senate. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris Van Holland had a really good idea of tying the funding of the Supreme Court to an adoption of a set of ethics guidelines. He'll never get Republican support on that, of course. So yeah. in the midst of all this bad press and people really realizing how corrupt this organization is capable of being, if it wants to, I'm a little surprised John Roberts wouldn't accept a subpoena to do some damage control. Oh, I'm not. Tell me. Tell I'm me. not. The, I mean, John Roberts has um, overseen the explosion of corruption on his court. He may want to try to put out a, you know, um, arm's length distance image from it and, you know, remind everybody from his confirmation days that he's just an umpire who's calling balls yeah. and strikes. <laughs> um, but I'm it's, the good cop. Clarence Thomas, where are you, Clarence? I need you. There, he's the bad cop. <laughs> Precisely. But, you know, and it's just the rot runs so deep in this court. I mean, Dick Durbin said the reason he didn't try to subpoena Clarence Thomas is because he figured Clarence Thomas would ignore the subpoena. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. You just, I mean, you just gave the man a reason not to show up. This was a justice who refused to recuse himself from any of the Trump cases, any of the J6 stuff. We know that Ginny's uh, paw prints are all over that. It's wild. And so to for John Roberts then to try to have it both ways only happens if the media in particular continues to buy the myth yeah. that he's an objective actor. Mm -hmm. And if folks on this show get one thing out of this part of the conversation, John Roberts was never an objective actor. Not when he was in Florida in 2000 helping Bush through the election. He wasn't being objective then. I was just going to say his his record goes so deep as a partisan operative. There's no reason to think that that's ever changed. And we can stack up the Roberts Court's decisions and see that to be true as well. Well, that's encouraging. Um, <laughs> so let me close with this note of cheer. Uh, the Texas Senate Last week, I'm sure you heard, passed three bills that would require public schools to promote religion to their students and employees, um, including a proposal in each classroom to prominently display uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, the Beatitudes, Christ. Oh, no, no. The Ten Commandments. Nothing of Jesus. These Christians aren't fans of his. Uh, the Ten Commandments uh, starting next year. I think this is great because I think it's the responsibility of public school teachers to teach our children what adultery is and what coveting your neighbor's wife is. But I'm curious, can any good come of this? I mean, I, I have no doubt this will inspire many people's outrage. And yeah. it is certainly deeply unchristian and deeply against the wishes of the founders. But this is Texas. They don't care. Can any good come from it? Will this inspire anything? And, and do you think it's going to really pass? I don't see, I, I don't even, I don't, the Supreme Court, honestly. Uh, Justice Thomas <laughs> thinks the state can set up a religion functionally. Yeah. So like, let's be very clear. Congress shall pass no law. Didn't say anything about Texas. Exactly. Oh. So let's be very clear about where, you know, um, many of the, of the real conservatives stand. And I think it's important to take that Texas proposal as a part and parcel of the conservative movement's larger war on public education right now. Thank mm -hmm. you. Because what's really happening is they're trying to break schools. They're yeah. trying to break schools across the board in terms of COVID response, the way that, you know, our teachers and school staff um, are paid and treated. The inability to respond to um, schools as, you know, mass shooting sites. That's My right. oldest is 18. So he grew up in the Sandy Hook. I mean, he was a first grader when Sandy Hook happened. That's wow. all that he knows from his educational experience. And he's a he's going to be a first time voter. And when you talk to him, he will tell you that guns and climate and personal freedom, not conservative personal freedom. That's right. Yeah. But his and, and his cohorts personal freedom are at the top of those lists. So oh, yeah. will it God pass? <laughs> will it pass? I mean, it's Texas. Who knows? And the other thing that I just want to say about that is it's not as though religious families are sending their kids to public schools in That's Texas right. anyway. They're <laughs> opting out. They're going to religious schools. They're homeschooling right. their children. This is truly about making it um, un like just untenable for folks like me to send my kids to public school. Yeah, in a place where they love Jesus and executing people. Makes sense. That's right. Garnet, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they're trying to break the whole public education yeah. system, right? They have been for some time. Now. Exactly. Do away with the entire idea that every child is entitled to yeah. a free public education. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think they also want a theocracy. Yeah, you know, I think really this do. particular bill might just be a stunt. But I do think that the conservative movement, they're not 
hiding, right? Like they've always telegraphed where they're moving. And I think it's Democrats who love to say, oh, that no. Right. They're, they're not going to break that norm. Right. They're not going to cross that yeah. line. And they always do. Oh, so. Lucy won't pull the football away from poor Charlie right. Brown this time. Let's start believing them when yeah. they tell us what they want. You know, Ooh, I don't even know what norms are anymore. Uh, Garnet Henderson is a Rewire News Group senior multi-platform reporter. What's the best way for our audience of Riff Raff to follow you and keep up with your work? Well, you can follow me on Twitter as long as Twitter exists and on Instagram <laughs> at Garnet Henderson. We probably could have talked about Twitter for the whole hour. <laughs> yeah. Jessica mason Piclo is Senior Vice President and Executive Editor for Rewire News Group. Congratulations on your son turning 18. Thank you. They don't hate, <laughs> they don't hate trans people either, and they're not afraid of socialism no, either. It's going to no, be no, a no. mighty powerful voting block. Yeah. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you besides subscribing to the Boom Lawyered podcast, which everyone should? Oh, thank you. Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Hegemami, H-E-G-E-M. O-M-M-Y, as uh, my co-host Amani Gandhi likes to spell it out. And yeah, so long as uh, Twitter exists, you will find me there uh, yelling at the clouds. It'll exist, whatever it devolves into. Uh, it's so true. good to see you again, Jessica Great. Garnett. Thank you for joining us for the first time. I hope to have you both back really soon. Absolutely. Thank Anytime. You. Nice to actually be in the SiriusXM studios. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Amazing. Ooh, we gotta go. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Thea. I'm John Fugelson. Keep it tuned to SiriusXM Progress. Peace. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.